family because my wife recently had a big birthday. She turned a brand new decade. So I wanted to do something a little special for her, something a little bit different to celebrate the birthday. So I went to work and I got some tickets. We drove up to LA and we went to see the TV show Dancing with the Stars, which she is a big fan of. Now let's talk a little bit about that name, Dancing with the Stars. We went up there and there was dancing. A lot of it, check, filled that promise. Stars? Might be a little loose on that definition there. I don't know. There was Carlton from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, so that was the uh, highlight, although he did not dance the Carlton on the night I was there. A little disappointing to me. Girl from Back to the Future, Mrs. McFly, I guess. Other than that, though, you know, honestly, I didn't recognize too many other people. I guess dancing with people you vaguely remember is not quite as catchy of a name for the TV show. So in general, I'm not very interested in dancing. But I tell you this, I did find it interesting that night to watch what a production this whole thing was. Because as we sat there, we saw the stars, and they did a lot to get ready for their dance. Oh, what a production the whole thing was. They would put their fancy outfit on, they get their dance shoes on, they get their hair done just right, they get their dance partner next to them. Sometimes they're practicing right up to when they walk on the stage. Even the stages, the scenery were completely changed out just for them. But at the end, all of that stuff was really just secondary because it all comes down to one thing. Can you dance? That's it. That's the one thing that determines success or failure. And surprisingly for a lot of them, the answer was no. They can't dance. Which makes me wonder why they're on the show to begin with, but that's a different question. But others of them prove that they belong because they showed their skills at dancing. Now the same dynamic is true for us as Christians. We've had a lot of discussion in 1 John lately about obeying God's commands. And there's a lot of them. But as we're going to see in the passage tonight in 1 John, like the TV show, it's all going to boil down to one essential thing. Do you love one another? If you love God, if you've got a real relationship with him, you will love other people. But yet if you look at your life and you don't see real tangible examples of you loving others, you need to ask yourself if you even have a relationship with God. Loving others is that important. It's like dancing on the TV show. It's proof that you belong, but in this case, that you belong to God. So what we need as Christians today is a greater appreciation of the importance of love. Love is not extra credit, as we often think for the super spiritual people, nor is it just fluffy stuff that's secondary to core biblical teaching. No, love is core biblical teaching. You call yourself a Christian, you better be able to look at your life and see regular, recurring, sacrificial love for others. So we're going to talk tonight about how we can get God's perspective on the importance of loving others, and then we're going to talk about how we can practically, tangibly live this out in our lives. So with that as background, let's go ahead and let's get started and let's turn to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in verse and as you see here, John's going to go in a bit of a transition because he's going to take the whole discussion we've been having over the last few weeks at the very general level. We've been talking about fighting sin, confessing sin, 
We've been talking about obeying God and doing so more and more, as Pastor Elliot talked about last week. And John's going to narrow it down to something specific, to the one thing that ultimately matters. So let's pick it up. 1 John chapter 2, let's look in verse 7. It says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse 9, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother, well, he's still in darkness. But whoever loves his brother, there's the topic, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now look how John starts this whole discussion on loving one another up in verse 7. He says, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but it's an old one. John is setting his readers at peace that he's not introducing some sort of new, strange idea. No, he's talking about a truth that's been around for centuries. It's fundamental to the Christian experience. And as you saw in verses 9 through 11, he's talking about loving his brother. He's talking about loving one another. It's the core thing that defines the Christian life. And we would do well to recognize it. I right? put on your outline, point number one, you need to recognize love's fundamental importance. Recognize love's fundamental importance. It's, it's not the latest fad. It's not a new thought. It's an, it's an old commandment, and it's been around. It's a commandment that John's readers have heard from the very start of their Christian experience. Every Christian had seen the calls to love one another throughout the New Testament. You can think of Acts chapter 2, the early church. They were together. They had everything in common, loving one another. But really, the command goes further back than that. It goes all the way back. It's got its foundations in the Old Testament. So let's go ahead and turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus, if that sounds hard, it's not. Third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And what we're going to see in this passage is the same thought, but thousand, uh, over a thousand years earlier. And if you look at the context as you turn there, starting in about verse 11 or so, you're going to see a whole series of prohibitions that are designed to help the Israelites get along with one another. And you're going to see things like, like, don't steal from one another. Don't slander one another. But he gets to the heart of it in verse 18, Leviticus 19, verse 18. It says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there it is. God stepping on the scene early on. saying, you ought to love others. And you ought to love others as much as you love your own self. It's an old command. It's a fundamental command. But if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that it didn't take them very long to take that command and to wad it up and to throw it in the trash can. Because if you read the Old Testament, you see it's full of fights and murder and hatred and people not getting along. Stories of people doing the opposite, not loving others, but putting themselves first. And really, how far have we progressed in the last two or three thousand years? You look today, we've got social media, we've got reality TV, people screaming, hey, look at me, I'm important. We've got a consumer culture that tells us, hey, you deserve a break today. We're living completely in a me-first society. 
It's out of the story that's often told of a mother. She was making pancakes for her two sons, Jacob and Matthew. And the two kids, as they often do, start to argue over who gets the first pancake. And so the mom looks at this and sees, oh, here's an here's a opportunity to teach the kids a little moral lesson. She sits them down and says, all right, kids, if Jesus were here, you know what he would do? He would say, you know, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Jacob, older brother, thinks about this for a second, turns to the younger brother, Matthew, I'll tell you what, you be Jesus, right? <laughs> you wait. But it's like the brothers, our society thinks in the same way. It doesn't compute. Sacrifice for my brother? No thanks, I'm looking out for myself. Yet God has told us from the very beginning, he's called us to something fundamentally different. You've got to set aside your own agenda. You've got to love others. It's going to go against everything that you see in the world today. But it is the core of what God is calling you as a Christian to do. It's an old command, and it's fundamental. But if you look back at our passage, 1 John chapter 2, if you look at verse 8, John's going to say, yeah, it's fundamental. It's old, but, but it's also new. Verse 8, 1 John 2, so that at the same time, it's, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. And why is it new? It is new because of Jesus. And Jesus, in him, verse 8 says, the darkness is passing away, and Jesus, the light of the world, is already shining. Jesus is the greatest and the most supreme example of the command to love one another. When you look at Jesus, you see love exemplified. You see love embodied. Because you can look at the life of Christ, and you can see that he never once lacked compassion. He was never too busy to help someone or to love someone. He never once showed hatred or malice, even to those who hated him. Jesus is love. And when he commands us to love one another, he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't first done himself. So love itself is not new. It's an old commandment. But in Christ, we've got a new, a new dimension of love, a new standard of how we should love one another. In Jesus, we see love in, in a deeper and in a richer way. And the call for us as believers is to follow that example. The very words of Christ, I put a verse on the screen, John 13, 34, says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And before you throw the flag on the plane and say, well, hold on, that's not new, that's old. We just talked about that. Well, here's the new part. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's the new part. Jesus, he is the template. And what we need to do as Christians is follow that template, or as I put on your outline, point number two, as a Christian, you need to model Christ's new love. Model Christ's new love. Our standard now as believers in loving one another has to be Christ. And it's a standard that's new, that's different than all that has come before. Well, how is this different? I'm glad you asked. I've got three ways... Coincidentally, I've got three pointy fingers on the outline. Three ways Jesus lived out the command to love one another that's fundamentally new. And three ways as believers that we can model Christ's new love. So let's get started. If you look at the life of Jesus, if you look at how he talked about loving one another, one of the biggest changes you'll see is the emphasis that Christ now placed on it. 
Matthew. He was asked by, in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus was asked by a lawyer, what's the most important commandment? What did he say? He said, love God. But then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he went on to say, all the law, all the prophets, everything hangs on those commands. Or Paul, echoing the words of Jesus in Romans 13. I also put this on the screen. Paul says, owe no one anything. This is Romans 13, verse 8 through 9. Except to love each other. There's the command. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, and how can you fulfill the law just by loving others? And verse 9 tells us, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Any other commandment is summed up in the word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Old Testament, love is just one of a bunch of commands. Now, New Testament, Christ, it's the commandment. Well, how is that so? Because if you're loving others, you're doing all those other things already. And if you're not loving others, well, guess what? You're not doing any of those things. They go together. That's why if you look on the outline at, at verses 9 through 11 of our passage, that's why he has this whole discussion about light and darkness. Verse 9 says, whoever is in the light and hates his brother, well, no, he's in darkness. That's a contradiction. It just doesn't fit. There's, there's no middle ground here. You're light or you're darkness. There's no gray areas. Verse 10 says, if you love your brother, you're in the light. That's great. Or verse 11 if you hate your brother, you're in darkness. You see the dichotomy there? If you see your brother in need and you don't help him, that's, that's not just a missed opportunity. It's not like, oh man, I wish I could have loved more. You know what God calls that when you don't love your brother? God calls that hate. You either love or you hate. You start to see the magnitude of the issue here. It is that important. And Jesus gave love a new emphasis. He elevated it right to the top. It's a priority. And I tell you this, if Jesus says something is important, if Jesus says something is a priority, you better bet that this is something that you should be constantly doing. You ought to be characterized by love. People ought to look at your life and say, oh, there's a guy that loves, or there's someone that loves. You need to be continuous in love. Or I put first pointy finger, the first way you can model Christ's new love is you can love continually. Again, Christ says this is the emphasis. This is something you need to be continually doing. This needs to be the regular pattern of your life. Everything hangs on this. But the problem that we've all encountered as we go down this path is it's hard to love continually because there's a lot of times that we don't feel like it. But the reality is feelings shouldn't enter in because love is not an emotion despite what the world says. Love's not an emotion. Love is a matter of the will. You decide to love someone. It may not always feel like it. it. may not be the most natural thing for you to do, but if it's a priority, you need to make it happen, even if it doesn't come natural. It's like I thought back to when I got engaged. I thought, you know, I like my future wife. I want to give her a good proposal. So I started planning. I had a lot of stuff I had to decide. Deciding things like which flowers look best together, what, what table at the restaurant was the most romantic, what's the right thing to wear, what's the right romantic song to have on the radio. I even had to figure out how to make homemade ice cream pie that was part of the dessert. And as I sat there thinking about all these things, I realized I was not qualified to make any one of those decisions. I had no idea about that. None of that came natural to me. But I realized, you know what, this is important. This is the priority. So I worked hard at it to overcome my shortcomings. Loving others may not come natural to you, but that does not make it any 
less important. And because of that, you need to work at it. You need to be continually loving, regularly setting aside your interest for the benefit of others. Is this the pattern of your life? Is it the pattern of your marriage? Remember back when you first got married, you would climb the highest mountain. You'd pick the flower from the highest meadow just for her. And now she asks you to uh, pick up a gallon of milk on the way home from work. And you're like, oh, come on, I'm busy. Right? When was the last time you really went out of your way to show sacrificial love to your spouse? When was the last time you went out of your way to do something nice for him or for her? If you're thinking, sitting there right now thinking, ah, I don't know, I can't think of something. You've got an issue because love is not a priority. You are not loving continually in your marriage. It needs to be the regular practice, all the time continually loving your spouse. When was the last time you wrote a note to your spouse just to tell him how much you appreciated him or her? Why? Just to be nice. When was the last time you gave your spouse a gift? Not because it was their birthday, just because. When was the last time you did a chore around the house? Maybe that your spouse normally does, but you do it just out of love for him or her. If love were a priority, you would be constantly doing those things. And not just in your marriage, but with your Christian brother and sister as well. Bringing them a, need, a meal when they have a need. Maybe helping them move. Always a need there. Getting together and pray when they need it. Asking them, how can I help you? I mean, you ought to be getting up each morning. You ought to be praying to God saying, God, show me. How can I show sacrificial love to to my brother or sister in Christ today. It might not come natural, but you say, God, help me. Sh show me how I can do this. you got to work at it. It's a priority, and you need to make it happen. You need to be loving continually. That's Christ's new love. But, but there's another way that he made love new, and he gave a new, a new quality to love. Because the Old Testament said you got to love others as you love yourself. And that's a challenging call. But Jesus took it a step further. And to see that, if you're in 1 John 2, just flip the page over to 1 John chapter 3. Because in Christ, we, have, we see the, a sacrificial nature to love that, that wasn't there before. It wasn't seen or understood. Because if you want to understand what real love looks like, you don't have to go any further than the cross where Jesus was whipped, he was beaten beyond recognition. He was nailed to a cross, dying a horrible death for our sins, bearing the wrath of God for you and for me. John says, you want to know what real love is? Here's your example. Look at 1 John 3.16. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That's the example. And we, in response, ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Think that sacrifice was easy? Think there was pain involved? Think it was hard? Yeah, but Christ made it happen. And his call to us is to love others even when it's hard. Point your finger number two in your outline. You want to model Christ's new love? You need to love even when it's hard. You need to ask yourself, how far are you willing to go? What are you willing to give up for the sake of love? Well, consider how far Christ went for you. Consider the sacrifice he made for you and let that sacrifice motivate you to sacrifice for others. That's where the verse goes in 1 John 3, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and he sees his brother in need and he closes his heart against him, 
How does God's love abide in him? It doesn't. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk. Don't just talk about it, but in deed and in truth. You got to love in deed. You got to sacrifice. You got stuff. You got time. You got the world's goods. You got to sacrifice that for others. You got to prepare yourself. It's going to be hard and it's going to likely cost you something. It's like when I talk to my kids. I got two sons. I got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. And I talked to them about my wife's birthday a couple weeks ago. And I said, hey, what do you, you want to get mommy for, your, for her birthday? And, you know, with the eight-year-old and the five-year-old, you have to get through the normal first responses. I think mom wants a trampoline in the backyard. Or mommy wants, I mean, let's take mommy to dinner at McDonald's. And we work through those. And, and uh, you know, we finally got to some, to some good examples. I said, yeah, those are good. Let's get that for mom. So then I said to him, all right, guys, go upstairs, grab your money, and let's go. And it was like record scratch. What? We have to pay for this? I said, that's right. We went to Target. They went straight to the dollar bins. That I, I think mommy wants a lint roller or something. <laughs> And I'm dragging them out of there saying, no, dudes, you want to show real love to mom? It's going to cost you something. You want to do this in your marriage? You want to show real sacrificial love to your spouse? You've got to be prepared. It's going to cost you something. There's going to be times when you come home and you've, you've been swamped at work or the kids have been in pain all day long and you just want to relax. You want to flip on the game. You want to take a nap. But then you look over here and you see your spouse needs help with something. And you think, I don't have time for this. I got 15 things to do. I'm going to be up late tonight just doing the things I need to get done. But yet you feel God tugging at your heart. Are you willing to sacrifice for your spouse? Even when it's hard? Even when it costs? But you say, hold on. You know what? I've been doing all the sacrificing in this marriage lately. It's not fair. She needs to stop, start pulling her own weight. He needs to stop being so lazy. You can't have that attitude. You can't have a 50-50 marriage saying, I'm going to put this much in as long as I get this much out. No, you need to be willing to give even when you're not getting in return, even when it's hard. That's Christ's example. Think about Christ in the garden, praying to God, pleading with him, take this cup from me. You think that was easy? No, it was hard. He didn't want to do it, but he did. He sacrificed. He persevered and loved even when it was hard. That's marriage. How about, though, outside of marriage? How about with your Christian brothers and sisters? Do you sacrifice for them when it's hard? 1 Peter 4 says we ought to show hospitality to one another. Do you have that couple from your small group? Do you invite them into your house and, and make dinner for them? Oh, got to clean the house. That's a pain. Got to buy them dinner. I don't know if the budget can afford that. Galatians 6 2 says bear one another's burdens. Maybe there's someone that needs a a late-night counseling session. Maybe you need to drop what you're doing and then just stop and pray with someone. Are you doing it? Or John 13, Christ showed servant love by how? Washing his disciples' feet. Doing something no one else wanted to do. And that's often what happens when something's hard. Nobody wants to do it. Out of love, he did it. I think of the Thrive Hospitality team. I think of Garrett and Jamie Cornish, and, and honestly, everyone that serves on their team. You think they enjoy setting up, cleaning up after you, serving you dinner? You think they got up this morning and said, I, I just want to work with KFC today. I wonder how I do that. Hopefully there's a way to, to work with KFC. Or we just made an announcement of watching kids. We need someone to watch kids from 5.30 to 6.30. We get it. It's hard. You're, you've been with your kids all day long. But they do it, and they persevere. Why? Because it needs to be done, and they sacrifice. Don't let there be a barrier to your love. Don't let the cost 
scare you. But consider the example of Christ and commit to loving others even when it's hard, even when there's a cost. Almost done. There's a third way, though. Third way that Jesus' love was new, and it was new in the extent of how far that love should go. And to see that, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 43. Because it's one thing, as we've been discussing, to love your spouse or to love your friends. But it's something else entirely. To love that person that it's just hard to love. But let's see, what did, what did Jesus say on this? Matthew 5, verse 43. Words of Christ says, You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And first of all, the law didn't say hate your enemy. The Pharisees added that. It said love your neighbor as yourself. But he says, yeah, that's the old way. Verse 44, here's the new way. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You need to love your enemy. Now, I don't know how many of you have enemies. Maybe you've got someone that's really, really trying to persecute you. But we probably all know someone that's just really all not, not all that lovable. Either way, the call is the same. We've got to get over it, and we've got to love those people that we think are least deserving of our love. Pointy finger number three, the third way we can model Christ's new love is you can love the undeserving. Love the undeserving. Jesus' life, again, gives us a wealth of examples here. We have Christ going to the house of sinners, of tax collectors, of people the religious leaders of the day were not even willing to love. you got Christ dying for his enemies. The religious leaders who hated him, he's laying down his life. And he's hanging there on the cross in front of all of them saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he died for us. Who am I? Who are you that Christ would die for us? I'll tell you who we are. We were sinners. Romans 5.8. Put it on the screen there. It says, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is nothing in us that deserved that kind of sacrifice. We were not lovable, but Christ sacrificed for us all the same. I thought about that because I was on, a, uh, I was on an airplane last week and I was getting on the plane and doing the normal thing where you're in the line, scooting down the middle of the plane. And I looked a couple rows up, and there's this businessman sitting there. And he just looked like trouble. I mean, he's got his computer out. He's working away. He's got stuff all over the place. He's sitting there in the aisle seat, and the window seat and, and the middle seat are completely empty. And this is a full plane. There are, like, people everywhere. And this poor old lady in front of me realizes she's in this guy's row, and she's like, ah, excuse me, I need to get in here. And no joke, the guy says, ah, okay, and he starts gathering up all his stuff. It takes him like five minutes, and I was looking at him. I'm like, I wanted to say it, but I want to say, dude, what did you think was going to happen here? This is a full plane. There are people all over, your, over the place. You think this was going to be your own private row? You're living in there in your own selfish world. But then I had this thought that popped in my head. I said, you know what? If I realized that, you know, I actually had the aisle seat. This guy was mistaken. He actually had the middle seat. Would I, just to be nice, give up my aisle seat for that guy? Say, oh, don't worry about it, dude. You stay there. I'll climb over you. I'll wedge myself in the middle seat here. 
Would I do it? And if I was honest with you, at the time, I'd say, no, right? Not for that guy, not for him. Maybe for that old lady, yeah, I'll give up my seat for her. But that guy, oh, he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve that kind of sacrifice. Well, what did you deserve? While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Let's think about our marriages here. Because we've probably all encountered a situation where our spouse seems undeserving of our love. I know that's hard to believe when you're standing at the altar saying your vows, but it happens, right? Think about the last fight you had with your spouse. Maybe your spouse unjustly lashed out at you. How did you respond? But hold on. Did you see what he just said to me? Do you, you see how she's disrespecting me? And you're tempted to stick up for yourself in an escalating situation, fighting fire with fire. No, no, it's not easy to sacrificially love your spouse in a fight when they seem so undeserving of our love. But then you remember, well, what did Christ do for me? While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And you lower your guard and you apologize to your spouse and you forgive and you give that situation to God. Or maybe you're one of those people that's got the, the list of all the things your spouse has done wrong and, and you get in a fight and now comes the list. Here's all the ways you've disappointed me recently. Right? And then you think, well, what did Christ do with my list of sins? I forgot him as far as the east is from the west. Or maybe there's that person at church that just oh, it rubs you the wrong way, disrespected you, excluded you from something. Maybe they're even gossiping about you. These people are not beyond your love. No, it's an opportunity for you to display Christ's new kind of love, real love. Because real love doesn't care if they're deserving. Real love looks to Christ as the example, and it gets the strength from him needed to love even the undeserving. And that's new love, and that's love that Christ exemplified. For us. Now, as I was thinking about all this, my thoughts went back to my favorite topic, Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> and those of you that know the, the show, I don't know if there's anybody here that still watches it, those of you that know the show know that before a couple goes out to dance, they show a, uh, a movie, a clip on the screen of what happened during the week, during training. And it's undoubtedly something horrible that's happened. There's always exhaustion or fights with a dance partner or, or despair because they're never going to get the dance right or injury sometimes. But by the time the big night rolls around, they're ready to go. And one of the reasons they're ready to go is because at the side of the dance floor, there's a table. And after all the dancers dance, they go and they stand in front of the table. And at the table, there's a series of judges. And they get judged on how well their dance was. And I tell you this, thoughts of, the, of getting judged motivates them to persevere through the trials of the week. And we are going to stand before a judge one day too. And God is going to judge us on how well we followed his commands. And as we saw tonight, all of his commands and his laws all wrapped up in this one command. Do you love one another? And God's going to look at us and he's going to say, well, did you do it? And he's going to say, I gave you the life of Christ. I gave you the example. He showed you how to, how to love continually, how to love even when it's hard, when there's a cost, how to even love the undeserving. And I tell you now, you better be prepared with an answer. 
And you better let that day then motivate you now to resolve to make it happen. So we're going to take some time in our small groups right now, and we're going to give you time to really get practical with this command, because that's really the whole purpose here. And since this is a marriage group, we're going to start with a spouse. I give you a question in the binders. Question four, I think, says, how can you show practical, sacrificial love for your spouse this week? Let's start there, because if there's anyone that we should start loving sacrificially, it's our spouse. And let's thrive this week. Can we commit to faithfully living this out in our marriage? Can we be bold examples of Christ of this new love? So I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer, and then we're going to go off to our small groups. And let's just really think long and hard and, and have a good discussion with our small group about how we can do this as believers in Christ and how we can model this Christ-like love. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for this word and um, really for your example. I thank you that you did come to earth and you died for us and you showed us how we can live, how we can love one another. And you loved continually. You never let anything get in the way of your love. You never let any cost be too great that you couldn't persevere with love. And you never, you showed us that there was no one that was outside the scope of your love. So I just really pray for these couples right now that we may live this out in our marriage. We may love our spouse sacrificially. We may live this out in the church, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, and even living this out in the world, being an example to the world of your love for us. Thanks again for this privilege of, uh, of getting in your word, and I just pray for a profitable small group discussion time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.